For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Hey, Genesis, Steve Weens here. Uh, We had some technical difficulties with our recording on the second week of Advent. And so I recorded it uh, at home because I think uh, now we've had technical difficulties on different times, but I think this particular word for our community was important. So uh, I recorded it and then put it out on my podcast, but, but I thought it would be good to put it on the Genesis website as well. So here it is, the second week of Advent. Uh, there was something really delicious happening in the room on that particular day, which will not be in any way, shape, or form reproduced in this recording. This is just me and a microphone. But I think I got the essence of um, the word and the challenge and the invitation for the second week of Advent. So here it is. Enjoy. And uh, thank you so much for listening and for being a part of the Genesis community. Uh, We're in the second week of Advent, and last week I preached a message on Isaiah 64, which gave us sort of a pattern for praying in Advent. If you want to read it later, uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, But it, it essentially gave us three movements of prayer as a way to pray through Advent. The first movement is desperation. You just got to be completely unedited, completely honest. Uh, Whatever it is that you are hoping for, that whatever it is that you're seeing is not right in the world, Advent is a time to let those needs, those desires be known in as desperate a way as possible. Uh, No editing. Uh, we We can shout it. We can scream it. We can cry it. That's the pattern. Because in Advent, Advent means arrival, and in Advent, we are waiting for the light to come into the darkness. Uh, And so it's a great time to pray desperate prayers. Then the second movement from Isaiah 64 is this movement of confession, and it's just right out of the text, right out of the verses. And so we have to really admit that when we cry out these desperate prayers saying that things are not right in the world, at some point we do have to admit that uh, at least on some level what's wrong with the world, at least in part, I have to own. Uh, I am part of that, what's wrong. I don't get to have the luxury of just pointing fingers and saying, you messed it up, you screwed it up. I have to at some point uh, admit and confess that I am a part of that. And so when we've prayed desperate prayers and when we then move toward confession, which is really a freeing movement, then we go to intimacy. And I think then we can start to move into this place with God that even can exist without words. Uh, And we move into this, this, this sense of being held by God, that the, the God that created you, the God that loves you, the God that's with you, we get a sense of moving into greater intimacy with that God. So uh, here's, so that was last week, and uh, I did just a tiny little bit of review, and I think it's important because some of that stuff comes back up. 
So this week, I'm going to read the text at our church. Uh, if a woman is preaching, which happens often, a man reads the text. Uh, if a man is preaching, a woman reads the text. We're not going to be able to have that. See, that's just another thing that's, you know, that's going to be missing. But Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11, I'll read it to you. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she had received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall be made level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So if week one of Advent was all about desperation, week two about Advent is all about comfort. There's serving your term. There's resting after the penalty has been paid. There's the God that uh, tends God's flock like a shepherd, gathers the lamb in his arms, carries them close to his heart, gently leads those that have young. And so there's desperation and then there's comfort. And I was having this conversation with my friend Katie. Those of you who are at Genesis know Katie well, Katie Schlink. And she was telling me about sort of the bell curve of emotion. So we've all seen the bell curve or picture like a sine wave. And the way to picture a sine wave is just like, like to even like what I'm doing with my hand right now is I'm, um, I'm, it, it's down low and I'm, putting it up in sort of a wave and now I'm bringing it back down and I'm doing that over and over again up and then down up and then down the normal rhythm of life is to experience up and down there's an inhale and an exhale there's waking and sleeping there's working and resting there's empty and there's full there's giving and receiving there's day and there's night and there's even living and dying. And when life is working the way life should work, you, you have that rhythm that it's, it's a sine wave. It's up and it's down. There's breathing in, there's breathing out. But Katie was telling me about um, that, that in terms of the bell curve of emotion, if you get stuck at the top and you never move through the bell curve, and the top in this sense is like high tension, high anxiety, high anger, high fear. If you get there, there is a way of getting stuck at the top of that tension. And if you never move through the bell curve, move back down, you're going to lose hope, she said, 
that God will ever deliver you or anyone from desperation. So you're going to live life in that desperation. And again, it's really good. It's okay. It's healthy to express those prayers of desperation. But if that's all you ever do, if you get stuck there, Katie was saying, and I completely agree, you're going to lose hope. So I want you to hear a couple of verses again that I read just a, just a few minutes earlier and see if you can see the sine waves in the verse even. So starting in verse 3 of Isaiah 40, a voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight uh, in the desert a highway for God. Now here comes the sine wave. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, right? And so even in this text, there's a sense of valleys being lifted up, mountains being brought low, and they're in, in a very real sense. What Isaiah is talking about there, the, 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 the people of Israel have been exiled. Uh, Jerusalem has been sacked. They have lost loved ones, and they are feeling like life will never be the same again. And so Isaiah is saying, I'm speaking some comfort to you that there will come a time when these oppressors, these mountains, these people that look like they're on the top now will be brought low. And there will be another time when the people that are in the valleys, the people like you that are being oppressed will be lifted up. And this is really bold language to use for people who are... Um, who are in exile, who are experiencing desperation. And there's even a, there's even a thing here uh, that, that, that like as a preacher, I say, when you are speaking this kind of powerful comfort to people who are in desperate pain, it's got to pass some tests. Like it can't just be a cliche. It can't just be, hey, God is in control. God's got this. I mean, that kind of cliche language uh, really falls on deaf ears. And for people that are really suffering, it does not help. And so if there really is going to be comfort, if if someone's really going to move down uh, past the anxiety top, the fear top of the sine wave, it's going to have to be real. So I started thinking about people in, in my life that I know are at the top of, um, of the desperation curve, and the tension is high and the fear is high. So um, I just recently heard about a person who uh, was diagnosed with brain cancer and was given three to six months to live. And so, I mean, this person has a family, this person has a spouse, and I heard about it and I just immediately, um, I just thought, oh my goodness, how would you speak comfort to this person, to this person's family? when you're staring down the barrel of something that's that was i mean and this was such a surprise i mean this came out of the blue the person wasn't feeling very well and then they went in to go see the doctor they took um, an mri or a cat scan and they found this cancer this tumor in in the brain rapidly growing and then they had to have that conversation where you know you got three to six months to live so how do you speak comfort, like the kind of comfort that is going to actually bring you down off the, off the top of fear is going to have to be real. It can't be fake. It can't be cliche. It can't be grounded in just, you know, well, we have a blind, blind sort of weak, shallow faith that this is going to be comfort. It's got to be real. Um, my mother-in-law 
one of the most amazing people on the planet, a woman of small stature but great faith. I mean, this woman is a prayer person. Uh, she is close with God and has lived her whole life in this humble um, attitude with with God. She has, oh my gosh, she's just a giant. But she has had um, some serious health issues in the past year. She had surgery and it didn't go, she just haven't, hasn't recovered from it the way that she wanted. She has pretty severe physical limitations now. She walks around with a walker and uh, this is a woman who used to be on the treadmill every single day. She was like, she's in her 80s, but she could absolutely crush women 20 years younger than she was in terms of physically. She had all kinds of stamina, all kinds of joy. And then recently she just found out that she has, she needs knee surgery too. So it's like, you know, how do you speak comfort to someone that is just uh, living at the top of the, of the fear, anxiety, tension curve? It's got to be real. And then I have some friends that are Palestinian, actually. They have little kids. There's this couple that uh, live actually in their backyard. Their actual backyard, not a metaphor, is the wall. Uh, that contains the Palestinians. And um, when the United States chose to um, chose to name or recognize Jerusalem as the capital of, capital of Israel, that's a complex issue. There's certainly lots and lots of reasons, lots and lots of sides, lots and lots of uh, opinions about that. But if you're a Palestinian family, your life just got a whole lot harder. Uh, and so there is this sense that, you know, if I send a text to, hey, comfort, comfort, oh, my people, um, God has you, God is leading you. You know, there's a sense like that, that better be real. That better be real. And so here's what I also want to say, in addition to that better be real, because how do we know if it's real, right? I mean, how do we know that God really does comfort God's people in those times? How do we really know that God can bring God's people down from the high place of tension, anxiety, fear, loss into a place of comfort so that the sine wave can keep moving? And here's what I want to say about that. And this is this is going to sound a little funky maybe, but here's the deal. Like you're not awesome enough to move down the sine wave because you're so spiritually mature or so wise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a way in which, you know, maybe we think, well, I'm going to be able to move down this sine wave because I'm going to really work through my issues. And that's true. You need to work through the issues. I mean, you need to get help. Some of us need to, need to uh, seek counseling. Some of us need to um, just get in lots and lots of conversations with friends. Some of us need medical attention. Uh, and here's the deal. When you're experiencing the level of pain and sorrow that I just uh, expressed, and when you're experiencing the level of pain, sorrow, and desperation that uh, the ancient Israelites were experiencing, uh, when they were in exile, uh, you, you, you begin to realize 
human effort is going to at some point fail. We're going to do our work. We're going to do our best. We're going to be healthy and whole as much as we can be. But you are not awesome enough to create the momentum to go down into the sine wave, into the lower parts of the sine wave where you're going to experience rest and comfort. And I get that right out of Isaiah 40, verses 8 through 11. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So get up to a high mountain, Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up and don't fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense is before him. And when we, when we read the grass withers and the, and, and, and the flower fades, that's really talking about us. Like human life withers. My emotional state and ability to withstand living at the top of the tension curve of the sine wave, that's going to wither. That's going to fade. Even my spiritual maturity, that's going to fade. My wisdom will fade. My ability to handle life on my own will absolutely fade. And so we're going to need something bigger than us. We're going to need something bigger than human effort if we're going to move through the sine wave of desperation and into comfort. So when it says the word of our God will stand forever, here's the deal. The word of God in the very beginning and according to all the church fathers is not the Bible. It is Jesus. And we read that in John 1. We read that in uh, Colossians 1. We read that in Genesis 1. There's a reality that the, 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 the Bible so certainly is the written word of God, but the incarnate word of God, Jesus, predates the Bible and even stands over and above the Bible. Uh, Jesus isn't true because of the Bible. The Bible's true because of Jesus, all right? And I need to get some amens out of that. And I mean Jesus, the Christ, the eternal creative force that holds the whole world together, Colossians 1, that was there in the beginning, John 1, and that animates life, Genesis 1. So here's the deal. Uh, and Jesus, here's what he came to do. Advent celebrates the arrival of Jesus, and we're not there yet, so we live in the darkness. But once we hit midnight on December 24th, we celebrate the Christ who came and this is what he came to do. Uh, and this is from Luke 4, verses 16 through 19. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of, I, of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began his teaching by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he was saying, I've come to do all those things to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to, to give recovery of sight to those who are blind and to set the oppressed free. And I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And this is what's really fascinating. So uh, that text is, is from Isaiah, but the very next line that Jesus leaves out, it's so fascinating. Because if you read it, it's, um, now, now I'm forgetting where that is in, in Isaiah. Um, but if you read it, the very next line is, and also to proclaim the day of vengeance for our God. So Jesus leaves that line out. <laughs> Come on. Comfort, comfort, oh my people. That's what Jesus has come to do. That's what we're waiting for when we wait in anguish of Advent. If you are experiencing life and you're stuck at the top of the sine wave, you're stuck in a kind of tension, anger, fear, anxiety. If in 2015 you cried out and nothing happened, and in 2016 you lost your voice, as 2017 is coming to a close, you feel like you're going to die. Here's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to rescue those who are at the end of their rope and who are broken down at the side of the road with no more energy to move along the sine wave on their own. Jesus has come to proclaim freedom for you. And that, is, that comes to you no matter what you believe right? There's no theological test you have to pass in order to get that, uh, that delivery from God. You just have to be desperate enough to cry out for help. And so I think that is comfort. I mean, if you're, if you're in that place, um, perhaps you don't feel comfort yet. But history, and especially the scriptures, uh, and people like my mother-in-law, are full of examples where people uh, have experienced the comfort of God, which has come to them, not because of their effort, not because they figured it out, not because their circumstances changed, or even that they got well, but because God's comfort transcends all those things and moves them through the seasons of their life, the seasons of inhaling and exhaling, of waking and sleeping, of working and resting, of empty and full, giving and receiving, day and night, living and dying. So there's comfort, 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 oh my people. Then the second thing I talked about in this sermon yesterday um, was a sense of there are some of us that are living at the top of the sine wave at the desperation, anxiety, fear, anger point because we are choosing to hang on to something even though it's not getting us anywhere. Some of us are so filled with resentment and bitterness right now at someone else, maybe right in your community. Folks, yesterday I said right, right at the Jewish Community Center where we worship, some of you are filled with resentment and bitterness at someone else right here in this community, right here in our church, right here at Genesis. You won't talk to them, even though they're right here in this room right now. And you're choosing to live, up, live at the top of the sine wave with all of your resentment, all of your righteous anger. And you're choosing to stay there because it's giving you something. It's giving you some sense of justification some sense of rightness, 
uh, but it's not bringing healing to you. Now, I want to say this. If something happened to you, and if you're experiencing conflict, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to express the anger. Anger really is a useful emotion. It's one of those things that lets us know that what happened isn't right. So being angry, Jesus got angry. People in history got angry. Certainly Mother Teresa, certainly Martin Luther King Jr., uh, certainly Gandhi, all these people that worked for so much good in the world, at least in times where they were angry because things weren't right in the world. But anger is one of those things, like Johnny Rotten says in the 1980s, anger is an energy and it can fuel you to do the right thing. But if you insist on living at the top of the sine wave, and if you won't move, if you're stuck because you just won't move, because you need to hang on to your resentment, to your anger, to your bitterness, here's the deal. You will end up living in toxicity and it will be because you won't move. And those are hard words, but I think they're really real. Some of us need to hear that. Some of us are stuck at the top because we're just, we're sick and we're, and we're stuck and we, there's no way to move yet. I mean, God hasn't come with comfort yet, but others of us are stuck at the top because we simply will not release we will not release the anger and the bitterness and, and the resentment. And we are putting ourselves in the prison and the door is standing wide open. Uh, no one locked you in there. You actually are choosing to sit in a prison even though the door is wide open and you could walk out at any time. So some of us need to hear that uh, comfort, comfort, oh my people, as a challenge to let go of having to have a past that was different than what it was. This is hard work, friends. This is brutal work. I mean, this is graduate level work. But if you want to experience comfort and it's you that needs to make the first move, uh, my encouragement and challenge to you would be to make the move because uh, you know, um, you are staying there because you're getting something out of it. So what are you getting out of it? Some, again, some sense of justification, some righteousness. Um, and I want to encourage you to move down that sine wave. There's an inhale and there's an exhale. There's a giving and there's a receiving. There's a talking and there's a listening. There's a grabbing a hold of and there's a letting go. There's a confronting and there's a forgiving. There's a doubting and there's a believing, there's a desperation, and there's a comfort, the sine wave of life. This is just life. And we got to write it all the way up and then write it all the way down. And we need God and we need each other if we're going to do it well.